0: Hi folks, Tris here. Thanks for listening to Modem Prometheus, and thanks especially to all of you who have joined our Patreon. If you'd like to help out, head over to patreon.com forward slash modemprometheus. Members get behind the scenes notes, early access, bonus episodes, and a lot more exciting stuff. Today's story is called Fairy Road, and is brought to you by what some people, though certainly not us, would say is an unhealthy amount of Kate Bush.
1: Someone has just ordered a takeaway. Crispy chili beef, and two spring rolls. They tap the order into their phone using the Eat Now app. It's the biggest one in the city, because their riders get your food to you faster than any other. A notification says a rider has been dispatched. That rider is Trevor, and tonight, he is going to die. Don't tell him. That'll spoil the surprise. Right now, Trevor is cycling toward the Penny Dragon with a guitar and a cheap bag slung over his back. The bag is cheap, but the guitar is not. It's a Rickenbacker 330 Fireglow with a maple body and rosewood fretboard. It is by far the most expensive thing Trevor owns. Elise, his girlfriend, calls it a house deposit. It's not quite that, but it's definitely a few months of the rent Trevor doesn't always make. Watch Trevor, and you'll see him move like a queen on a chessboard. Any direction he pleases, always in a straight line. He cuts through parks, across roundabouts, goes the wrong way down one-way streets. Trevor's always been a big believer in shortcuts. He doesn't make his life any harder than it has to be. Alice, another one of the regular riders, is there when he arrives and raises her fist for a bump. Yo, Trev! She's got her phone on the counter, an app playing an internet radio station called Modem Prometheus, listening to its strange poetry. Black Marsh. Stable. Low to none. High threatening. Extrusion. Bodes Hill. Stable. Drifting east. Medium. High threatening. Extrusion. Brackham. Unstable until moonset, then stabilizing. Violent. High threatening. Extrusion. Wild night she says trevor shrugs his own eat now app shows a map full of green ticks it's safe he's not worried alice raises an eyebrow at the guitar case so what's up you singing the queen to sleep tonight nah better trevor says damn ryan's playing at the palace and his support dropped out so i'm covering the palace used to be one of the grand old theaters Seating a thousand people on velvet cushions under giant crystalline chandeliers. Today, theaters make less money, so it have been turned into Trevor's favourite gig venue. He loves everything about it, from the bars that only serve unimaginative lager to the sticky ripping sound the floor makes at the end of a night. He dreams about playing on that stage. He won't be playing there tonight. He knows it. Alice knows it. Trevor carries the guitar with him on all his jobs to remind himself why he's delivering takeaways. He could get another job, one that paid more, one that didn't mean Elise covered three quarters of their rent, but then he wouldn't have time to practice. The band are so good. Alex is fantastic on the drums, even if his work ethic sucks. Gen X has the kind of voice that could sing you a shopping list and still have you hanging on every loop and swirl. His guitar holds it all together with a melodic, driving growl. They are so close to getting spotted and really taking off, he knows it. One day, he'll be on that stage. Trevor is in fact right about some of this. His band are genuinely talented. He's never going to play at the Palace though. Because, in case you've forgotten, he's going to die tonight. But Trevor doesn't know this, because no one gets to choose when they die. Alice doesn't know it either, so they do the running gag where every time Alice sees him, she asks about the guitar, and every time Trevor tells her another ridiculous story. A boy comes out and hands a bag to Alice. Cheers! She pauses before leaving, looks at Trevor. Hey, watch yourself tonight. The Hounds of Love are everywhere. I'm staying off the back road. They'll dock your wages if you do that too much. Let them. Worst things to lose. Trevor shrugs. The hounds are a hazard of the job, but not the worst. You've got some agency with them, in a way that you don't with a drunk driver who's run a red light. When Trevor leaves, crispy chili beef in the satchel at his hip, he goes straight for a back road. The Eat Now app compass, still in comforting green, points him to the nearest gateway. He has no interest in deciphering Modem Prometheus's rambling forecast. The closest back road is a drifter. There is a set of four junctions. Traffic movements in this part of the city mean at any given time, one of them is empty. Cross this empty junction, then turn back and cross it again. Then go back a third time, and you will wink out of this world. Much like Trevor has just done. Like Trevor, the people at Eat Now, in their skyscraper offices, they believe in shortcuts. That's why they require their riders to travel the back roads, because they see them as an efficiency, as an average of 38% more deliveries made in a single evening, as a graph that goes up and to the right. The truth, of course, is that the back roads don't really exist, but they desperately want to, and sometimes that's enough. And so... At certain places, at certain times, you can cut into the other city. The one where the angles are that little bit wrong. Where time doesn't work as it should. And where the hounds of love ride. If you asked a hound what it called itself, it would answer... Before slitting you from groin to chin. Alice cannot pronounce that, so she calls them the hounds of love. I can pronounce but the hounds of love is a good name so we shall use it if you have ever seen hounds hunt ever tried to escape love you will agree trevor doesn't worry about them he does a cursory check of the eat now compass but he knows the route he clears his mind he doesn't like thinking in the back roads the wrongness of the world seeps into his thoughts. In the city, as he was riding, he was thinking about the next gig. It's in the Lexington in three days. Or would have been if Alex hadn't dropped out. He's got accountancy exams next week. He wants to study. Trevor can't understand why anyone would want to be an accountant when they could be playing to a dancing crowd. Who would trade stage lights for fluorescent lights? The fact is, Alex just doesn't believe in the band like he should. Trevor needs to talk to Gen X about finding a replacement. It won't be easy, but better to do it before they get big. In the back roads, he tries not to think at all. There's the sound of mopeds in the distance. It's okay. Trevor will be long gone before they find him. All he needs to do is curl across the roundabout, Ignore the foxhead placed on a spike in that house's garden. Turn left onto the street of dead nightclubs and flickering neon signs. Cut down the alley and find that it's bricked up. It's bricked up? What is going on? Why is it bricked up? Trevor can't quite believe it. Things don't change in the back roads. His compass points straight through the wall, but it's solid as iron. No veil here. He hears a moped again. A lot closer this time. Well fuck okay be calm don't panic his phone has plenty of charge so he's still got the compass trevor can find another route he swings his bike around and noses toward the mouth of the alley he thinks i should leave the guitar behind it's too much weight he forces the thought down The moped is close by, but he can't tell if it's on the main road. Sound can't always be trusted here. It moves in curls, drifts like smoke. Around him, the buildings are dark and solid, and the air carries the tang of exhaust. He can't see the hounds, so he heads out and starts pedaling, looking for another route around. The compass, Locked to the nearest gateway, points right, but there are no roads heading that way, just a solid wall of shuttered shops. A revving engine sounds behind him and suddenly the moped is there. Trevor pounds the pedals, the guitar strapped to his back feeling like a sail that's carrying him the wrong way. The road grips his wheels, it looks like asphalt but feels like he's biking through mud. The moped comes up on him fast, pulling alongside. Trevor steals a glance at the hoodie-wearing rider. He can't see its face, but the fingers wrapped around the handlebars are long and terribly sharp. There is no sound. No birds. No hum. No slamming of car doors. Only the moped engine. Almost drowned out by the beating of Trevor's heart. He pushes himself harder, feeling his chest start to burn. The hound falls back, Trevor knows it's just to prolong the chase, but he doesn't care. More distance between him and it will never be unwelcome. It veers off onto a road Trevor is sure didn't exist a few seconds ago. The street is getting narrower. The houses become walls, shutting him in. The moped sounds like it's ahead of him now. An alley reveals itself to his right. Trevor doesn't look at his compass, doesn't give himself time to listen to the voice in his head that screams it's a trap, just swings in. Right, left, right again, a brick wall. The maze is blocked, but there's a door hanging ajar in the side of one of the empty shops. He quickly dismounts, drags his bike inside, shuts the door and shoves the bar across to lock it. The shop is not like any other Trevor has been in. The aisles are all different widths and are lit with candles, clusters of smartphones strung up like onions and blobs of what looks like the inside of a lava lamp. All of them cast far more light than they really should. He wheels his bike through the aisles toward where a flickering green sign marks the exit. The shop is like what happens when someone tries to reconstruct a supermarket from archaeological records. He hurries his way past a stack of cauliflowers, A stereo speaker, what looks like a snapped-off fox's paw with a label attached that reads Be My Valentine, a little damp heart signing it off. He finds a World's Greatest Accountant mug, and wonders bitterly if he should grab it for Alex. Outside, he hears a moped stop, and something get off. He freezes, his heart beating a tattoo. Trevor doesn't see the finger, thin as a blade, slide through the crack between door and wall. But he hears the sting, as it slices down, and the clatter of the bar landing in two pieces on the floor. He hurries down another aisle, trying to put something between him and the hound's line of sight. It is inside now, grey hood turning slowly side to side like a snake tasting the air it raises a hand that looks like it's made entirely of switchblades and moves the fingers in an almost Mexican wave like it's gesturing to things that Trevor can't see he doesn't want to think about that he backs away slowly, willing his feet to silence the guitar strapped to his back catches the display of what looks like jars of dragonfly wings preserved in brine. Trevor jerks at the pressure and they crash down around him, shattering. The hound's head snaps in his direction. Trevor doesn't even give himself time to think a curse before he runs for the exit, not worrying anymore about being seen. He's left his bike behind. He doesn't care. He keeps running. He bursts into what passes for daylight again, without even looking for something to block the door. He runs right, why right, no idea, no time to decide, onto another street of blank, boarded up shopfronts. The only distinguishing feature is a burned out 2004 Renault, the satnav still repeating, Turn around, where possible. If there are other mopeds, Trevor can't hear them, deafened by the pounding of blood in his ears. Trevor changes direction at every junction, zigzagging across the map like a rabbit running from a car. When he finally stops, feeling like someone has pushed a burning mass of coal into where his heart should be, he realises he has no idea where he is. There's a moped engine in the distance, and he flinches, but it's far away and doesn't sound like it's getting closer. He's safe for now. He just needs to find a way out. His guitar has never felt so heavy. It's a pose. The annoying thoughts in his head say. They've come back, now he's got time to think. You don't carry it as a reminder you'll be a musician. You carry it because you're embarrassed that you're not one. He brings up the compass up again, and it sends him south. He follows its line, the streets finally seeming cooperative, opening a route for him to follow. His trainers whisper over the asphalt. The compass needle is swinging. He's getting close, just around one more corner. And he stops. The gateway is at the end of this road. He can see it, a flicker in a chain-link fence. But in front of him is the palace. Dark and cold, but every brick, window and gargoyle, exactly as he knows it, The stage he has danced in front of so many times. The stage he has dreamed about playing. He should keep going. He knows he should keep going but this is the palace. The door cracks itself open and Trevor knows the decision is made. He walks past the empty ticket office into the cavernous auditorium. It's not Quite right. The colours are too muted, the echoes don't make sense. Doesn't have the wrong feeling every other building here does. Trevor feels like a pilgrim who's just walked into a cathedral. The stage has an amp on it. A pickup cable snaking invitingly toward him. Trevor climbs up. He can't hear the mopeds anywhere. One song, he thinks. Just one song. He shakes the guitar out of its bag, plugs in, and looks at the vacant pit, the empty stands. He tries to remember what Gen X says at the start of a gig, and fails. Instead, he says, Okay then. Raises his hand, and begins to play. It's not his best performance. His hands are shaky. Half his mind still can't believe he's doing it. He doesn't even try Jen's vocals, but in the corners of his eyes, he sees the venue packed things with horns, things with wings, things with claws and feathers and teeth, and even things that look human, all jumping, dancing, screaming to his sound. He looks up and there's nothing, but he carries on playing. The crowd is only on the edges of his vision, enough to make him feel like it should be pulsing in front of him, but it's not real. It's made of ghosts. Those annoying thoughts say, that's a hell of a metaphor. He finishes the song, and the ghost crowd breaks into applause. He says, thank you very much, to the empty air, and unplugs the guitar, slinging it once again on his back. They say the Fae can't lie, but that's a misunderstanding. It's this world, this air, nothing can lie here. Trevor can't lie, even to himself. And as he walks back across the empty auditorium, he feels thoughts flooding in, the thoughts he never allowed himself to think. That the band will probably never be big, and it's not because agents prefer pretty people playing pretty sounds. It's not because Alex wants to eat something that isn't instant noodles for lunch one day. It's because a band can be good and work hard and still may never play to more than two dozen people above a grimy pub. The world has never promised everyone a fair chance. Trevor has always told himself it's only a matter of time. But here, he can see that's just another shortcut when he takes to skirt around decisions he doesn't want to make. Truth hurts. Tears drip from his eyes as the doors he'd locked in his brain are kicked open one by one. Trevor feels the person he thought he was die, one piece at a time. Trevor leaves the shadow version of the palace, returning to the acrid air of the other city. The glitching gateway is at the end of the road. He can see it, just. A slit in a chain-link fence, causing it to wave slightly in a breeze when the world here is deathly still. He's almost home. And then a moped comes. He hears the engine gun behind him and doesn't turn to look, just breaks into a run. The guitar case and satchel bounce awkwardly into his side as he charges to the exit. The moped is gaining. Trevor dives to the side as it passes him, yelling in pain as the blade-like fingers slash across his arm. He's dripping blood, but that's fine, he needs his legs, not his arm. He skids, trips, rights himself and keeps running, keeps running, doesn't even think about stopping. He's just about aware of the moped, leaving a screeching mark on the asphalt as it swings back around ahead of him, coming in for another charge. Trevor yells and runs towards it, toward the gate, and the moped is fast, but not fast enough. Trevor pulls himself through into the clean, dark air of the city and finally allows his body to collapse, falling onto the pavement that's comforting as a duvet. He shrugs off his bags and sits on the curb. He's still bleeding, but at least he's doing it on a city street. It's a bit of suburbia, empty at this point in the evening, three streets from where his customer is waiting. He checks his clock. It's been four minutes since he entered the back road. He shakes his head. Sometimes the long routes exist for a reason. The Eat Now app, he notices, is still showing green, all safe. Come to think, he doesn't remember it ever showing anything else. The revelations the back road forced upon him are still there. He won't ignore them. He will apologize to Alex. He will find a job that means Elise doesn't need to support him so much. And he won't deliver another damn takeaway. This is true. He will not. Trevor feels a chill run through him as a moped engine cuts through the night. Extrusions, he remembers. Extrusions everywhere. He looks at the trail of blood he's left, vanishing at the gateway. What? Did you think the death of a dream would be enough? I was quite clear about what was going to happen here. Two mopeds block each end of the street. The riders stare at him from under their hoods. Trevor thinks it'd be better if he could see some glowing red eyes or the crack of a mouth, but there's nothing. Look at a hound. An overcast knight looks back at you. He takes a breath savours it. Stands, a little unsteadily. Pulls out his guitar and holds it like a club. It hurts, but it is what it is. He cannot choose when he will die, but he can choose how. He stares at the hounds of love. His voice shakes like an autumn leaf. Come on then, he says, if you think you're hard enough. Three streets away, a man who ordered a takeaway sees the assigned rider vanish, taking his meal with it. He swears, then heads to the internet to leave the restaurant a bad review.
0: Modem Prometheus is written by Neil Merton, performed by Kate Angier, and with music and production by me, Tris Oten. Check out my other show at lostterminal.com. It's got more science and less dread. If you like what we do, check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash modemprometheus. If you're not ready for that kind of commitment, please rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this right now. Our next story is due on the full moon. And remember, when you cross the two quiet crossroads, it's not enough for you to be smart enough not to go through the gateway. The thing about doors is they work both ways.